Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. $200 million. That was the budget of a movie released on November 13th, 2009. The box office sales amounted to $791.2 million. And the movie was awarded with three specific awards. The first one was the Satellite Award for Best Visual Effects. The second one was the Satellite Award for Best Sound. And the third one was San Diego Film Critics Society Special Award. The movie was called 2012. Basically, a summarization of this movie is, is that the Earth's billions of inhabitants are unaware that the planet has an expiration date. With the warnings of an American scientist, world leaders began secret preparations for a survival of select members of society. When the global cataclysm finally occurs, failed writer Jackson Curtis tries to lead his family to safety as the world begins to fall apart. Throughout this movie, it is interesting, there are a few biblical parallels. First of all, the apocalypse, the end of the world that is found in the Bible. But also in that movie, they built these large boats that they called arcs to preserve humanity. wonder where they got that idea from. <laughs> That's exactly right, the Bible. As we think about this movie, why would they call this movie 2012 if it was released in 2009? Well, it goes back to the ancient culture of the Mayan Indians. And we see as we look at their calendar, the final date on their world calendar that the world would come to an end was December 21st, 2012. Last year, a handful of supposed scholars got together and said, well, actually, the calendar was eight years off and it was supposed to be 2020. And they said the end of the world, according to the Mayan calendar, could have been June 21st. 2020. Well, they missed that. And, and interesting, a pastor in, in Indiana named Pastor Begley began to say that, hey, hey, the, the calendar was a little off. It was eight years off, and it wasn't in, in June. It was in December 21st, 2020. And by the way, this just happened to be this guy's birthday, this pastor's birthday. He claimed, this is his exact words, he said, December 21st, 2020, during the great conju conjunction when Jupiter and Saturn come together within 0.1 degrees of each other, they will create the brightest star in the skies since the star of Bethlehem. It will be the closest Jupiter and Saturn have ever been since 1623, and it won't even come that close again for another 500 years. So this is rare, and it's going to be on the winter solstice. And that was his evidence that the end of the world would come on December 21st, 2020. Well, we know that setting a date to the end of the world is rather foolish. But the Bible tells us about the end of the world. 
In fact, this book of the Bible in the New Testament is a book that is devoted to unpacking what the end of the world is going to look like. In fact, look at the very first phrase. It says the revelation. If I could, I could rename this book the revelation of Jesus Christ according to the Apostle John. And here it says the revelation. Would you say revelation with me? Revelation. Say it again, please. Revelation. And one more time, revelation. And just so we're all clear, it is revelation, not revelations. So if you say revelations, I will, in the name of Jesus, rebuke that spirit and demon from you and call you to the altar to repent. (laughs) Just kidding, of course. But here it says the revelation. And the term revelation, it is an interesting word that is being used here. And all it simply means is a full disclosure of the events that are going to happen in the days to come. And this is just simply revealing that, that Jesus Christ is unpacking. He's opening up the curtain to, for us to be able to see the events that are going to take place in the ages to come. And today, as we've come to this passage, I have labeled the title of my sermon with these three words, the revelation blessing. The revelation blessing. There is a blessing when we open up God's word and read it for ourselves. but we receive a special blessing when we open up this book and read it for ourselves. In fact, this is the only book of the Bible that I'm aware of that begins and ends with a blessing from God. In fact, this is the one book in the New Testament that God says to not seal up. Of course, we don't want to close up God's word and not unpack what it says. And this is the only book that I'm aware of in the New Testament where the Bible says not to specifically seal this book up. Of course, the Bible mentions many seals in this book, and they're opened, and they're released, and and we see the seals coming out as we looked at last week. But this one book of the Bible is we're called as a church to not close it up and not to teach from it. We are called to open it up and teach from it, not to close it up. And so here we see that this is a book that is devoted to the glory and splendor of Jesus Christ. Today, I want to ask three questions. In verses 1 through 3, I want to ask this question. What is the blessing of Revelation? In verses 4 through 6, I want to ask this question, the second one. Who is John the Revelator? And then as we read verses 7 and 8, I want to ask this question. Who is coming in the clouds? Will you come with me as we journey through these eight verses together? In the first verse, we see it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So in the opening of this book, we see three characters mentioned. Jesus Christ an angel, and John. And then in verse number two, the Bible says, who bear record of the word of God. So here we see in this verse that the book of Revelation reveals to us that this is not a book that has been fabricated by the imagination of mankind, but it is literally the divine word of Scripture. That is, as we open up this book, we're not reading from second opinions. We are reading the book of God. We're not reading from second Balonians. We're reading from God Almighty. Here we see who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all that he saw. And then we get into the blessing here, verse number three. It says blessed. Gives this idea of somebody who has received great blessing and happiness. The term blessed 
It just simply means supremely blessed. Somebody who is supremely fortunate and somebody who is supremely well off. So do you want to be supremely fortunate today? Do you want your great fortune? You're not going to find it at the Chinese restaurant at lunchtime (laughs) and the fortune cookie. You're going to find it right here in this book called the Bible, specifically Revelation. It's as blessed as he that readeth. So there's a threefold blessing here. And the threefold blessing is given to all those who read, hear, and keep the prophecy of Revelation. Of course, we understand that there's a blessing upon anybody who opens up from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Malachi, Daniel, and Ezekiel. Any book of the Bible you open up, you're going to be blessed by it. But there's a special blessing on those who open up this book and read it for themselves. Now, let's pause here and understand this. All those who read the prophecy of Revelation will be blessed. Do you want to be blessed in 2021? We'll open up God's word to the very last book and read it. I, I, I like the, the, the ending here. It, it's not about, it doesn't say, oh me or oh my. It ends with amen. So we have the great revelation of God given to us about what's going to take place in the future. So we would be foolish not to read it. But understand this, that God gave this word to John, who was to write it down and send this letter to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. And when they would receive this, the pastor would get up and he would open up this letter and he would read from Revelation chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 22 to the body of believers. And so as they read it, we see that as a special blessing. I find it interesting that, that, that this year we will read more on Facebook than we'll read in the book. I find it interesting that we'll read more and listen to more stuff on social media than we'll open up God's word and read God's word for itself. It is a sad day when society cares more about what the latest headlines in the newspaper or some Washington Post than the headlines of the word of God. And so today I say we commit ourselves to reading God's word this year. I'm not saying to read the, the entire book of Revelation every single day of this year. I'm not saying to read the whole book of Genesis in one hour. What I am saying is to open up God's word and read it at some point. And I would encourage you to read this book this year. So you can see what God's word says for itself about future events. But I'm afraid the vast majority of the people in this world will close up the canon of scripture. Will close up this book. And they won't receive the blessing that God has given to all those who open it. Notice this term read. It's not rock and science, my friends. <laughs> it just simply means to open up and read like you'd read any other book. Just think about how many books you've read in your lifetime. Or how many books you will read in your lifetime. But the greatest book we could ever read is the word of God. Blessed is he that readeth. Do you want to be highly favored? Do you want to be highly, supremely blessed? Well, read God's word. Check it out. The second part of the blessing is given to all those who listen to the prophecy of Revelation. So we see that the pastor would open up this book, this letter. He would read it before the congregation. And then the entire congregation would hear and listen to God's word. Lord willing, throughout this year, we will read this entire book and listen to this entire book as a church body at some point throughout the year, like each Sunday. We've sectioned it off. And now, I want you to understand this, but when they read it, most likely they read it in one setting. 
So maybe, maybe one day this year, all we'll do is open up God's word and read the book of Revelation from chapter one all the way to verse 22. Wouldn't that be something? That'd be a service you never forget. Had to stand the whole hour to read the book of Revelation. To listen, it just simply means to open up your ears and hear. It means to give in the audience of. It means that you've heard the noise that's being reported amongst the crowd. And here is the noise that we need to listen to. We need to to cease from all the headlines and the noise and the ruckus in our world and focus on listening to the very words of Scripture. And then it says, and keep. Oh, and by the way, it says the words of this prophecy. To my understanding, of course, we see Bible prophecy throughout all of Scripture, but this book of the New Testament is the only book that I'm aware of that is fully devoted to only prophecy. And it says keep. So all those who read this book will be blessed. All those who listen to this book will be blessed. But then we see the third part of the blessing is this. All those who keep the prophecy of Revelation will be blessed. This is the same term, by the way, that Jesus used in John chapter 14 when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So this, this does not necessarily mean I'm going to hold onto it and guard it and not let anybody see it. It means that you're going to hold on to it and you're going to keep it and obey what it says. So what, how do we obey this book? Well, we obey this book by telling the world about how the king is coming and judgment day is coming. As we think about this blessing, I came across some statistics that others have put together that I want to share with you about prophecy. Prophecy takes up 20% of Scripture. 33% of the 20% of prophecy refers to the second coming. Over 666 general prophecies are mentioned throughout Scripture. 333 of those prophecies are related to Jesus Christ. 109 were fulfilled in His first coming, and 222 will be fulfilled in His second coming. Did you know less than 10 of the 46 Old Testament prophets speak of his first coming, but 36 out of the 46 Old Testament prophets speak about his second coming? Over 1,500 Old Testament passages refer to the second coming in some way, shape, or form. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. For every time the Bible mentions the first coming, it mentions the second coming eight times. For each time the atonement is referenced, the second time is referenced twice. Jesus referred to his second coming 21 times, and over 50 times we are told to be ready for his return. A lot of churches have closed up their churches to this book. A lot of pastors... Just think it's not worth mentioning from Revelation chapter 1 all the way through. A lot of Christians just say, I, uh, you know, there's so much debate about this book. I might as well just not read this book. I'll just stick with, with, you know, the gospel of John and read that one. Or Psalms and Proverbs. Listen, if 20% of the entire scriptures are devoted to prophecy, maybe we should take note of it a little bit more carefully. 
In fact, the Bible says here, for the time is at hand. We understand that this goes to just simply mean that, that out of the calendar of events on God's time chart, that the next one to take place is his return. And we understand his return is in two phases, the rapture of the church and then his literal physical return when he plants his foot on the Mount of Olives to establish his earthly kingdom. So who, or excuse me, what is the blessing of Revelation? Well, it's a threefold blessing to all those who read, hear, and keep this prophecy. But who is John the Revelator? Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. We see, of course, in verse number 1, the last word of verse number 1 mentions the name of John. But here in verse number 4, it mentions John again. So who is this John? I mean, we, we see John the Baptist. We see the Apostle John. We read about so many other Johns in Scripture. Which John is this one? John the Apostle is who is writing the book of Revelation. That is the human pen. We know that God is the ultimate author, but the human penman was John the Apostle, who was the son of Zebedee and Salome. And he was also the brother of James. We read about that in Matthew 4, Matthew 27, and Mark 15 in Acts chapter 12. We believe that he lived in Galilee and most probably in the little town of Bethsaida in Luke 5 and John 1. He was a fisherman in, John, excuse me, in Mark chapter 1 we read about. And when he was out fishing, he was fishing for fish. But Jesus comes to him and, and calls him to go fish for men. And by the way, that's who we're called to fish for. We're called to fish for men, for the lost souls of this world. So may God help us to advance his gospel and his kingdom and his future judgment into this age. He became a disciple through, excuse me, he became a disciple of Jesus Christ through John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, we read about John the Baptist, how he's saying, and hey, behold, there's the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John, the Apostle John, was there with John the Baptist. He was called to become an apostle. We read that in Mark 1 and Luke 5. Now, his apostleship is a lot different than somebody who could be called an apostle today. The term apostle means a sent one, but he was a special apostle who lived during the time of Jesus Christ and who sat underneath the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, and that's why we call him an apostle and the apostle John. We are, in a sense, all apostles, but not like the apostles of that day. We are called to go into the world, to the highways, into the hedges, and tell people about Jesus. But he served underneath the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And there we know he is now one of the 12 apostles. He was, oddly enough, it's interesting that through all the events of Jesus' healing and his miracles, when Jairus' daughter was, was raised, we see Jesus and the apostle John and some of the others are there in Mark 5 and Luke 8. He witnessed the Mount the Transfiguration. So there in Matthew number 17 and Mark 9 and Luke 9, we see Jesus is present, Moses is present, and Elijah is present, and then Peter, James, and John. Exactly right. We see that he was one of the closest apostles to him. The other two was Peter and James. Of course, we read so many times in Scripture, especially in the Gospels, where it speaks about Peter, James, and John, and those three were, were a little extra close to Jesus. You had the 12 apostles, and those three were like right underneath them, and they were going wherever he would go and do everything he asked them to do. And we read that, that as Jesus began to, to, to live later in his life, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and, and guess who else is there in that garden? 
In Matthew 26 and Mark 14, we read John the Apostles there. And then we see that he asked Jesus to call fire down on the Samaritans and was given the name, the nickname, the Sons of Thunder in Mark 3 and Mark 14. He, was, he asked a special request to Jesus to, to give him a special honor in the coming kingdom in Mark chapter 10. Concerning the Passover in Luke 22, we see that he helped Peter prepare it. In John 13, he laid close to Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. When Jesus was on trial in John chapter 8, we see that the apostle John witnessed the trial go down. When Jesus was taken and hung on the cross, we see that, that he was there at the crucifixion scene. He witnessed personally Jesus die the death that he died so that the world could receive forgiveness of sins. He was active with Peter and the apostolic church in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 8. And he lived a long life and died in an old age. He was the human author of the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and this book right here. So when this book is mentioning John, that is the John it is mentioning. And he says to these 12, excuse me, to these seven churches, and these seven churches are going to be listed later in the chapter, and we'll talk about them soon. These were in the Asia Minor Territory, and just like a custom of any letter, apart from the book of Hebrews, we see the opening greeting about grace being unto them and peace from, from God, who the eternal God who always has been and always is and always ever will be. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now this term seven spirits, you're going to see it multiple times in the book of Revelation. And, and, and it just simply is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and he has a sevenfold ministry, the Holy Spirit does. And we read about that in Isaiah and in Zechariah. And then we see in verse number five, it says from Jesus Christ, we see the Trinity mentioned, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And Jesus here in verse number five is called the faithful witness. Now we're called to all be witnesses. We are called to go out and testify of the good news of Jesus Christ, but let's just be honest. I've not always been faithful in my witness. You have not always been faithful in our witness. That, whether we're telling somebody about Jesus or in the lifestyle that we're living, we have not always been faithful. But there has been one faithful witness throughout the ages, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and, and in fact, when I began to first read the book of Revelation many, many years ago, I came across this phrase, the first begotten of the dead, and I was super confused about it because I said, well, well, Jesus wasn't the first one to be raised from the dead. We go back to the Old Testament, we read about some of the saints being raised in. You know, Elijah raised that one. We read about Jairus' daughter being raised. We read about Lazarus being raised by Jesus himself. We read when Jesus died, many came out from the grave and was resurrected. And then Jesus rose from the dead. So what does this mean? Well, the only way I can make it sense in my mind is, is just as, 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 as we say that Jesus is, is, is God's son, and just like we are all children and sons and daughters of God, there's only one Son of God. That is the Son of God, and that is Jesus. And so here when we read this phrase, the first begotten of the dead, out of all the people that have ever been raised from the dead, there is no one that compares to this Jesus. He is the resurrected Son of God, and nobody else compares to him. Then it says, the prince of the kings of the earth, out of all the rulers, out of all the tyrants, out of all the kings, out of all the presidents, out of all the emperors, out of all the leaders our world has ever seen, none is like this king, Jesus, because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And then I love this part of verse five. I love this verse. It says, unto him that loved us. You see, the, the very beginning of the book of Revelation, we, we get into it a little later, and we, we see that God's wrath is being unleashed upon humanity. But before it's all unleashed, we read about his love mention. And here, 2,000 years ago, is the reference here that when Jesus clothed himself with humanity and went to the old rugged cross and there died our death, a sinner's death, so that, so that he could demonstrate to all the world of his great love to humanity. And then it says that he washed us from our sins in his own blood. This term washed, it literally means to bathe. And so you can imagine that when you take a shower, you take your soap, you take your shampoo, you take your conditioner, and you cleanse your body from the dirt that you have got on you. And so we see here that, that the Bible says that the way God washes us is not through hidden shoulder shampoo and is not through anything else, but it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That it was when his blood poured out of his body, he was able to cleanse us and wipe away all of our sins. And as a result of receiving Christ as Savior, the Bible says in verse number six, he's made us kings and he's made us priests to God and his Father. And the Bible says to him, that is to this God, one who is three in one, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, to this God be all glory. To him be all honor, all praise, all adoration and dominion forever and ever, amen. Who is John the Revelator? He is John the Apostle. Who is, or excuse me, what is the blessing of Revelation? Well, it is to all those. It is given to all those who read, hear, and obey or keep this prophecy. But then let's ask and answer this question from verses 7 and 8. Who is coming in the clouds? If you know it, shout it out. Who is coming? Jesus, that's right. Jesus is coming. The King is coming. Verse number 7. In fact, verse number 7, the first phrase here is the introduction to the message of the entire book of Revelation. That is, if we could summarize all of Revelation with one verse, this is our verse right here, verse 7. So I guess if, if this is the only verse you ever read about in the book of Revelation, this, this is the one that you need to read. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Are, are these going to be special clouds? Are these going to be dark clouds? Are these going to be white clouds? What, what kind of clouds are these going to be? Well, well, before I answer that, I understand this, that Jesus Christ is coming back in full glory and splendor to bring judgment to this world and to establish his kingdom. That's the message we find in verse number seven and the entire message of the whole book of Revelation. But it's interesting. Why does the, the writer use clouds? Why? Why is his terminology that word? Well, throughout Scripture, a cloud, the word cloud is used as a symbol for the divine presence of the splendor and glory of God. Do you remember back in the Old Testament? We see that, that God visited Moses on Mount Sinai in a cloud. We read that God led his people in the wilderness through a cloud. We see that 
after they began to receive the law of God from Mount Sinai and from Moses, and he brought it to the people of Israel, that they would go and they would set up the tabernacle, they'd set up the temple, they would go into the Holy of Holies, and there they would have the Ark of the Covenant, there they'd sprinkle that blood there, and there the glory of God, the cloud, would rest upon the Ark of the Covenant. We see that when the big temple of Solomon was dedicated, the glory of God was manifested in that day through a cloud. And we see that when Jesus comes, this is, this is not a rainy cloud, this is not a white cloud, but it's called a glory cloud. That is, when we see Jesus up in the sky, that means that in that moment, he is arrayed in his full glory and splendor. Remember throughout scripture that they couldn't see God as man saw him because they would have to die because of his, the rays of his glory. And here in this moment, the world will finally see the rays of the full glory and splendor and majesty of God himself, the son, Jesus. The Bible says here, it's just every eye. Listen, I, I, know, I know you might be a little skeptical about this Jesus guy. And I know you might, might, might not fully believe in who he was. But I'll tell you this day, when this day occurs, you will finally have the full revelation of God and it will all click. <laughs> but, the, but the pivotal thing is, is you need to let it all click now so that in eternity you can spend it with him in, in heaven. But in, if it finally clicks in that day, it'll be too late. It says every eye shall see him. Every eye will be fixed and gazed upon Jesus. No longer it will be fixed and gazed on the television. No longer be fixed and gazed on Netflix or Amazon Prime or cable TV or anything else. It will be fixed on the presence and glory of Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says this. It says, oh, wow, this is interesting. It says, they also which pierced him. Hmm. Hmm. This is interesting. We go back into the days of Jesus Christ and, and, and they say it was the Romans who killed him. It was Pilate that killed Jesus. And I guess in a sense it was. It was the Roman soldiers who took those stakes and drove them into his wrists and into his feet and took that crown of thorns and drove it into his skull and hung him on the cross. But then at the same time, some have said it wasn't the Roman soldiers. It was the Jews who hung him on the cross. I guess, I guess they're both right. But then I like this one. It wasn't just the Romans. It wasn't just the Jews. It was every sinner that had ever lived. Driving those stakes into the body of God the Son. So here, every person, because of our sin, we are the reason why God, the M. The, the, the perfect God died and his body was pierced for imperfect man. It says all the kindreds of the earth, and this is, this is interesting, all those who were alive on this earth in that time, all the kindreds, the nations, the tribes, the nationalities, not only will every person, every being see him, and then it says all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Here in verse number seven, the Bible's usage of this term wail, it means to chop. It means to beat your chest in grief. It means to cut down. It means to lament. It means to mourn. It means to bewail. 
And so just as, as Jesus, there was great rejoicing when he was on the back of that donkey marching into Jerusalem that day. On, on Palm Sunday, as we celebrate, on this day, there will not be rejoicing, but it will be full of wailing and weeping and mourning. Because in that moment, they will all realize that the one they rejected is coming. The one they refused to believe in is now making his manifestation real. And then John says, even so, amen. Here we see the words of Jesus. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. It says, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. In other words, speaking about how he is the eternal God. I like the usage of this term, Almighty. Here in verse, the last word, it literally means the all-ruling, absolute, universally sovereign, omnipotent God. That's what Almighty means. So whenever we see Almighty God, we're literally saying he is the all-powerful, omnipotent, sovereign God of the universe who is eternal, who's never had a beginning and never has an ending. This is the God that we're going to see come in the clouds in the days to come. Now, it is interesting, verse number eight begins and sets the stage for all the different names and titles that Jesus has given in this book. Throughout this book, we see he is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the Son of Man. He is he that liveth and was dead. He is he that holdeth the seven stars. He who walketh midst the golden candlesticks. He who hath the sharp sword with two edges. He is the Son of God. He is he which searches the reins and hearts. He is he that has the seven spirits of God. He is he that has the seven stars. He is he that is holy. He is he that is true. He is he that has the key of David. He is he that opens and no man shuts. He is he that shuts and no man opens. He is the amen. He is the faithful witness. He is the true witness. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is Lord. He is Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Root of David. He is a Lamb as it had been slain. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is faithful. He is true. He is the rider on the white horse. He is the word of God. He is the Christ. He is the Lord God of the holy prophets. He is the beginning and the end. He is the bright and morning star. He is Jesus Christ. He is the one coming in the clouds. And John the Apostle is writing about him through divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we receive a blessing if we listen and read and obey this book. Don't close this book up. Don't be intimidated by the content in this book. Read it. We may not be able to all fully understand every jot and detail of this, but don't let that stop you from reading the events that are to come. In fact, as I was reading this book, specifically these first eight verses... I thought of a song. I thought of a song that, that Miss Ruth would often sing, and then Brother Rick has sung it several times as well. It's a Southern Gospel song. And, and one reason why I really like the genre within Christian music of Southern Gospel, because it's as if a preacher is writing the song, and it's more or less a sermon in a song. The Happy Goodmans is credited to this song. And I want to read the first two verses and then the, the chorus to you. Kind of summarizes the book of Revelation. 
high upon a mountain from where he ascended. An angel of the Lord declared that it would be. He said, don't stand there grieving for the one that you see leaving. In like manner, he's coming back for you and me. The second verse says this. I believe the time is nearing. We'll soon see his appearing. This could be the hour. Oh, this could be the day. When the saints from every nation will lose their gravitation in the middle of the air, be caught away. And the chorus rings. And I believe he's coming back like he said. I believe that the trumpet's going to sound so loud one day it'll wake the dead. Amen. And the twinkling of an eye, he'll split the eastern sky. And I believe he's coming back like he said. You believe he's coming back, church? Do you believe that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is coming as he says he was? Well, it's time that we seal this book no longer, that we open it up and we devote some time to this magnificent and marvelous book that closes the canon of Scripture. My friends, the King is coming. Do you really want to be blessed this year? Well, I'd encourage you to open up this book and read it for yourself. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.